Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Ramanandam Ramasukadam Kevalam Yarmurtim Tondratitam Vyanasadrisham Tatvamasya Lilaksham Ekam Nityam Vimalamachalam Sarvadi Sakshivutam Bhavatitam Traguna Rahitam Sadgurum Tam Namami Narayanam Padmabam Vashishtam Shaktim Chatat Putra Parasarancha Vyasam Sukam Gaudapadam Mahantam Govinda Yogin Ramatashishisham Shri Shankaracharya Matasya Padma Padam Chasamalakanchasisham Tam Totikam Bartika Karamanyan Asmad Gurum Shantatam Anatoshmihi Vishwam Darpanadrishyamanyanagari Tulyam Nijantargatam Pashyanatmani Mayaya Bayorivod Bhutam Yata Nidraya Yasakshat Kurute Prabhoda Samaye Swatmaname Vadvayam Tasmai Shri Gurumurtaye Namaidam Shri Dakshinamurtaye Namahaum Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmaracharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guratmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatos Miham Om Sri Krishna Govinda Narayana Om Yeah So he's talking about these uh these jnanis, these enlightened people. And he says, he's speaking as a jnani, as a person that's enlightened. And he says, I don't need to act. I don't need to do anything. You don't have to fix yourself or fix the world. The world is fine and you're fine. If you're trying to fix yourself or change yourself, you're not a jnani. You're trying to fix your body and mind, you're not a jnani. Body and mind is perfect as it is. It will be what it'll be. It's under the control of Ishwara. There's no point in trying to fix anything. And obviously you can't fix yourself. So and the world anybody that thinks they're gonna change the world or the do do gooders, huh? We're not here to save the world, okay? You shouldn't understand this. The world is perfect as it is. All the jivas are getting the karma that they have created, uh, whether you like it or not. And uh, it's, gonna, it's inexorable. The jivas will continue to create good and bad karma, and they will continue to suffer and enjoy endlessly according to their karmas. There's nothing you can do about it. So we're not here to fix the world, to change the world, or to change ourselves. We're just here to what? Appreciate the glory of the self and see everything as ourselves. And that vision has an effect on the world. But that's not why we do it, okay? That, that vision is, it removes one person, one miserable person from the equation. So in that sense, you change the world. Because uh, there's one less miserable, suffering person out there to cause trouble for other people. 
<laughs> so that's a good good benefit of this of this knowledge. But that's not the reason we do it. Okay, we're not trying to change it. So I said, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, everything in the three worlds is fine, perfect. So there's nothing for me to do. Yet I act because if I become lazy and refuse to act, people will follow my example. They will become confused. The social bonds that keep a society healthy would unravel and it would deteriorate. So these people, these jnanis, they have a sense of their place in society and they make a contribution even after they know who they are. They continue with actions to make a contribution. Karma yoga is where you learn how to make a contribution. You focus on making a contribution to the world. That's, that's your focus. You obviously are going to take care of your own needs. But at the same time, you train yourself to think of the world, the environment, the people around you first, and then take care of yourself second. That's the basic idea. That's a cultured person. A person who has culture stands at the end of the line and takes the food last and lets the other people take them first. He's not greedy. He take, eats the remnant of the sacrifice. These are people who have class or culture. Those are karma yogi types. So, just as the unwise who are, uh, who are attached to the results of their actions act only for themselves, the wise should perform action without attachment for the good of others. They should not lecture the unwise concerning action and its results. It's none of your business what other people are doing. This is a very beautiful statement. I love this statement here. Yeah, yeah it, another corollary, another, a corollary of that is uh, psychoanalyzing your spiritual friends and telling them where they're blocked. Huh? That's a real common thing in the spiritual world. In fact, we were, I was just in India, and uh, a friend of mine and I was staying in this decent hotel. And there were a couple people there, and I could tell immediately they were both goofy spiritual types. So I just avoided them. And uh, I, was, I wasn't impolite or anything, I just didn't pay any attention to them. And that bothered them because they wanted to, they wanted to, to tell me something. They had something, I don't know why they thought they needed to tell me something, but they were trying very hard to make a connection with me and I was doing my very best to avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one day I was sitting with my friend and uh, he's a really nice guy. He's just, he's a very pure-minded guy, he's a very decent guy. We were just sitting there and then one of them came up, the man. One was a woman. She was an Italian. She didn't speak English, but the other man with her was a Peruvian guy. And just the way he was dressed and the way he acted, you knew he was one of these spiritual goofballs. So he comes up to my friend and he says, he said, excuse me. He ignores me because I've ignored him. He's ignored. He said, can I talk to you uh, alone? My friend said, oh yeah, okay, come on, sure. So they go to a table, two or three tables, a little ways away, so I can't hear. But I can see, you know, talking. And he, she's saying something to him, and he's saying something to her, and then she, but it's going back. So what she said was, he had, he had, uh, he had made a sports injury to his leg. So he was limping a little bit, you know? His, his leg was a little little sore. Well, it was nothing serious. It was just, you know, he overexerted himself in the gym. So he was limping a little bit. And she said, I can see, I can tell that you're suffering a lot. And he said, uh, said, oh, yeah, I, I hurt my leg. No. You hurt your leg because you're blocked. 
you're blocked. And uh, so what, what are you talking about? Well, you don't have a, the problem is, you see, you won't, you won't be hurting and pain like this if you have the right spiritual path. You can see where this is going. She's got the spiritual path and she's going to be the guru now, right? As soon as he admits this. And he, she, he says, uh, he said, well, no, I do have a spiritual path. What is your spiritual path? Vedanta. They never heard of Vedanta. And he said, and that's my guru over there. And you know what she said? He's really blocked. <laughs> and then I found out in the satsang, there were four or five people, mostly they were psychological people, you know. Vedanta attracts a lot of psychological types, you know. And they're all super, so my friend, because my friend told me, he said, three or four people have tried to psychoanalyze me so far. And I said, I don't get it. Huh? And, uh, and it's true, you know, that, that actually there's nothing, he's one of the most healthy people you ever see. But it was just this desire, huh, to, to fix somebody, to help somebody, you know, without what? Without asking them first, or without having them ask you, which is much better. So, so Krishna says here, he's, he's, he doesn't say it just here, he says elsewhere. He says, let not the wise unsettle the minds of the ignorant. If you know something, it's none of their business what you know. You don't have to tell anybody what you know. Unless they ask. If they ask you what's wrong with them, then you can tell them. But if they don't, it's not up to you to go up and volunteer information. All you're going to do is make an enemy. That's all you're going to do. You're going to piss people off. They're going to get fed up with you, and you'll find yourself having a problem very quickly. So, you know, we're not trying to fix you. We're not trying to change you. If you hear this message, changes will happen. If you hear what we're saying and you, and you assimilate this knowledge, then changes will happen. But that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to change or fix you. We're just trying to educate you, that's all. From that, you can do whatever you want. It's up to you. You can change it, not change, but let the knowledge do the work. Don't get your ego involved in tinkering with yourself. Let the knowledge do the work. If the knowledge makes the changes, that's great. And once you understand something, changes will happen. You don't have to implement them. <coughs> it will just happen automatically or naturally. So in the first stage, you just listen. And if there are any changes to be made, then go ahead and work on yourself, but don't work on other people, okay? Please. All you'll do is make people irritated. And so that's why he says that. That's why he says that here. You shouldn't lecture the unwise. He said, and, so, and how do you, if you want to change people, then, you know, act beautifully. Follow Dharma. Act kindly and compassionately. Be truthful and honest and kind and generous. And, and just show by your actions and your, and your demeanor, your behavior, that what it's like to be free. And they'll pick up on it. You don't have to, you don't have to tell anybody. So he said, it is a, verse 27, it's a delusion to think I'm a doer. I'm the doer because actions are caused by the gunas influencing the body, mind, and senses. The wise, however, remain free because they understand that the body-mind-sense complex engages its objects automatically. Those unaware of how the gunas affect action get caught up in the actions of the body-mind-sense complex. We're going to study the gunas later on. We're going to get to a chapter on that. 
And it's very important to understand these gunas because they're controlling that material part of yourself. The gunas are controlling your ego, your mind, your senses, and your body. They're, they're in control of that. And so you need to understand how they work and the effects they have so that you can work on that material part of yourself. We're not trying to change ourselves, we're just trying to prepare our mind. Preparing your mind is different from changing yourself, because you're not your mind. You're not, you're, you're not your mind, you're the self. So if you think you're changing yourself and you're changing your mind, you've got a problem. No, we're just changing our mind to prepare our mind to what? To understand, that's all. We're fine. We just know that our mind needs a little work, and we're working on it dispassionately like a mechanic works on an automobile. And then he says it again. Huh? Well, there it is, the next verse, doesn't it? Next line. One who knows the self should not disturb the understanding of the undiscriminating ones who don't. There he says it again, two times. Keep your mouth shut. It's none of anybody's business whether you know who you are. So, it's very, real important information. You want to make trouble? Just go around telling people you're enlightened and they're not. <laughs> huh? You know, you will. They'll resent you. People will resent you. Or they'll worship you, which is even worse. Huh? They'll all glom onto you and you'll have a bunch of needy people hanging around all the time, sucking your energy dry. I've seen some of these. There was a famous Shaktipat guru that used to come to Chirvanamalai. That man was, he was drained. I never saw anybody so drained. You know, Wherever he'd go, there'd just be people sucking on him, glomming on him. He couldn't go sit someplace quietly on his own. People would just come up. And, and the man was just, he was exhausted all the time. Because you know, you know. they all thought he was enlightened. He was a nice man, but I thought he was pretty stupid. I thought, why would you tell, let anybody think you were enlightened? Particularly needy people who want to get enlightened. They'll just suck all your energy dry. They'll be there all day long. They'll be knocking at your door. They'll be calling at the phone there. They'll be doing all sorts of things for you. They all want to do things for you. you know, So they can be around you. So they can huh, get something out of you. Understand? The psychology of a devotee. It's the psychology of a child. That's why I said earlier, that's how children are. They're needy. They just want something from mom and pop. And they see the guru, or the, huh? they see these enlightened people as what their mom and their pop, who they're just going to give them this thing called enlightenment. It's, not a, it's a very unhealthy psychology. As you remember here, yes, was it yesterday or the day before, I said, what day is this, Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Yesterday, I think I said, our, our approach is we're equals. You're an adult, I'm an adult. We talk like friends. We talk like professional, friendly people. That's how we discuss. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're equals. That, that's the state of mind that's useful for what? For transmission of knowledge. But what? Allowing yourself, to, allowing people to think you're enlightened and that you can give them something and getting them dependent upon you. The last thing we want is to have you dependent upon us. In fact, we're trying to get rid of you. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Well, the old idea here is to be free, not to be dependent on a guru. I want to give you this teaching and, and get you on your own and turn you into your own guru. So you're the gurus. You don't need me. I'm not your mom, I'm not your pop, I can't do it, sorry. I don't like kids and dogs anyway. <laughs> so, huh? So keep your mouth shut. Unless you're asked, then what? Fine. Unless you're asked. <laughs> With a discriminating mind, free of anger, expectation, and a sense of I and mine, offer your actions to me and fight. If you faithfully follow this teaching without fault, you will be, you will be freed from the results of your actions. 
But if you're doubtful and do not follow it, you will not progress. It is wise to act in harmony with your own nature. Now here we go. This is a really big, big, this is a big topic. Because all beings follow their own natures automatically, what use is control? It's a good advice for parents and people in relationships, right? And all our lives are just what's nothing but relationships. Which means what? We're spending a lot of time trying to control and manipulate huh? our, our loved ones. Our loved ones, quote-unquote. Huh? And, and this is where there's so much frustration, isn't it? Trying to get your wife or your kids or your girlfriend or your boss or your, or, huh? to do what you want them to do. Huh? to behave in such a way that it makes you, according to your expectations, you expect them to be a certain way, and you try to get them to behave according to what you want? Huh? Not good, is it? Hmm? You, all you're going to do is what? Frustrate yourself and them. Like parents and children. It's an awful situation. They're going to do what they're going to do. This is what he's saying. The gunas are making people do what they are doing. They're, they're driven from within. The, the causal body. Causal body means it's causing. That's what it means. This is causing them to behave this way. So by you trying to get them to behave another way, all you're going to do is make them angry at you. So, and all you're going to do is get frustrated because they're going to follow their nature. They're not going to follow your gunas. You want them to be like you and do what you think is good for them. But they can't because they have different gunas. Their nature, they're programmed differently. They're not dishonest. There's nothing wrong with them, those people, whoever they are. There's nothing wrong with them. They're, they're helpless. They're controlled by what? They're gunas. And so you want them to be different? He says, he says everybody, everything is following its guna, its nature, whatever that is. And for you to try to mess with that, he said, what's the use? All you're frustrating yourself. You're agitating your mind unnecessarily. This is where all your relationship problems come in. A rajasic a woman marries a tamasic man. There's a good example. A rajasic woman marries a tamasic man. Now, how is that going to work? Well, on some level it's going to work fine. The tamasic man's going to get everything he wants, isn't he? Because he's too lazy to do everything, and she's too neurotic to let him have what he wants, so she's going to do everything for him. These are like women who want children, but can't have any children of their own, so they turn their, their boyfriend or their girlfriend or boyfriend into a, into a child, so they can what? Take care of them. They think that, they call that love, that's mother love. And the Tomasic man thinks it's great. Hmm? So he just keeps being Tomasic. And the, the Rajasic woman gets so fed up all the time, isn't she? Because she's having to do all of his karma for him. Huh? So she develops all this. And she's expecting him to change. She said, why don't you change and get up and do something here? You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to pay the taxes. You've got to take out the garbage. You've got to stop watching TV. You've got to walk the kids. You've got, you know, got to clean the house. I'm doing all the work around here. And you're not doing anything. And he's very happy with that situation. Because he's Tomasic, he's lazy. He thinks he's got a good deal. Oh, I married this woman because she'd do all the work. <laughs> Why should I change? Huh? And the Tomasic man, he wants her to change too because he can't stand her, all of her nagging. You know how Rajasic people are, women, men and women, particularly women, how they nag you all the time? Huh? 
they're just never satisfied. You think, won't they shut up? Okay, so there's a little bit of dirt on the floor. So what? It's just dirt on the floor. Take it easy. I don't mind. No, she got to come and, huh? And make you feel guilty because why? You didn't get up first and clean up the something on the floor, whatever it was. It's just different gunas, that's all. She's not going to change. You're not going to change. You better love what you got. Don't ever fall in love with potential. Fall in love with actual. Huh? Oh, no, no, he'll change. My, my love will redeem him. All I have to do is love him enough and then he'll change. No, he will not. <laughs> he, he will not. He'll just keep being the same old jerk. <laughs> so he's saying here, huh? Take it easy. Understand these gunas and how they work. Understand the power of the gunas and understand that a person is supposed to follow their nature. That's what Arjuna's supposed to do, isn't he? He's not doing it, is he? What's his nature? He's Rajasic. He's the top guy. He's the biggest warrior. He's the most energetic, radosic, powerful person around. And what's he doing? He's sitting there whimpering like a little dog that just had his tail run over and whining and crying about himself. He's not doing what he should be doing. huh? He should be looking around, checking it out, you know, making sure everything, getting his, marshalling his troops and getting ready to attack those people. Oh, no, no, he's having a big emotional breakdown. He's not doing what he... He's not following his predominant guna. And if he doesn't act out that rajas that he's got in him, what, huh? how's he going to feel? Rotten. He'll never be satisfied with himself because he didn't fulfill his karma. He didn't act out his karma. You have to act out your stuff. You can't avoid acting out your stuff. But what you act out your stuff how? In the karma yoga attitude. That's how you do it. With an even mind, with a steady mind. You act, do you act? Uh -huh. uh, here, attachment and aversion to sense objects are your intractable enemies. These are the enemies, attachment and aversion. It is better, and then he says here, to make it very clear, he said, it's better to die imperfectly performing your own, one's own duties according to one's own dharma than to live performing the dharma of another well, than trying to be something that you're not. You know, the, the, the human beings are very, they're, they're always, they, they, we call it becoming. Be, huh? they don't want to be, they want to become. They're not happy with what they are. They, huh? they want to become something. So they're always, they've got these ideas in their mind of what they should be like. Huh? You know, they, they, like, like everybody wants to, all the men want to be like the Buddha, right? Peaceful, blissful, non-attached, shanti shanti. They're, they're role models, the Buddha, they're all trying to be like the Buddha. And the, and the women, what do they want to be like? Mother Teresa or Amici. Oh, full of love. Just mm, hugging everybody and just love all this bliss and compassion just flowing out. Why? Because they're not, they're not accepting themselves as they are. They want to be something other than what they are. It means what? You don't love yourself as you are. If you want to, to be special or powerful or different or exciting or whatever, if 
you have these fantasies about if you if only I was like this, then everything would be wonderful. And then you're out there trying to change yourself, huh? What is that? It's just a recipe for suffering and pain. You're not doing your own dharma. We call this swa dharma. It's one of the main qualifications of what? For moksha. Discrimination is number... We've already talked about a number of qualifications. Discrimination is one. Number one. Knowing the difference between what changes and what doesn't. Dispassion is what? Number two. Indifference to the results of of your actions. Indifference. It's not karma yoga. It's just indifference. Because you know something is controlling. So you're cool. Whatever happens, happens. It's just passion. Control of your mind by observation and analysis. Not trying to control the thoughts, but changing your relationship to the mind. Control of the senses, particularly the tongue. Learning to keep your mouth shut when when it's appropriate and not say things that are unkind or that are too truthful, and so forth and so on. And then what? Swa Dharma. Not trying to fix the world, or what? Or to change yourself. Accepting yourself as you are and leaving the world alone. That's called Swa Dharma. Following your own nature. Absolutely important. Otherwise, there's always going to be what? Tension. Suffering between what you are and what you want to be. You are what you are by God's grace and you better learn to love it because you can't be any other way. Bhagavan, God has made you the way you are and that's it. So, huh? learn to love yourself. Karma yoga is bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is love yourself. All your ideas about being different from what you are based upon a wrong and incorrect understanding of yourself. You think you're not lovable. So that's what he's talking here. Then what? What's next? Chitiksha uh, means forbearance. That means... Suffering the little pinpricks of life uh, gratefully or gladly. Focus, being able to keep your mind focused on a particular topic for a period of time, long enough to understand what's happening. Focus. Samadhanam. Faith in the scripture pending the results of your investigation. Talked about that and what burning desire for liberation. Those are qualifications. This swadharma he's pointing out here, huh? Big one. Don't try to fix the world. Huh? Accept yourself as you are. Love yourself as you are. Huh? Accept yourself and operate from who you are right now, not thinking that you want to be something. That's just a huge, huge problem. Now, does a, does, a, does a dog want to be a cat? You've got human beings who want, men who want to be women. And women who want to be men. Excuse me? Excuse me. God gave you this body for a reason. You don't like it? You're going to be different? Where does it end? Where does it end? As soon as you judge there's something wrong with yourself, you'll never be happy. Because you can never make this self perfect because what's making you imperfect is just the thought that you're imperfect. And you what and and because this thing is imperfect, it's always going to be imperfect. So why not just accept it as it is right now? Why keep trying to change it over and over again, fix it over and over again? Because at every stage of perfection, there's another imperfection known to you, isn't it? So there's no way to get out of this pickle. 
in in uh, in Zen they have a very cool idea. It's called wabi sabe. Wabi means what's perfect, and that means the self. Self is perfect. Kevala. Kevala means perfect. And sabi means what's imperfect. That means everything here, including you're this person that you think you are. That's imperfect. And wabi-sabi is when you see that what's perfect is absolutely, what's imperfect is absolutely perfect. That means what? You accept your imperfections completely. Because you know there can't be any other way. Well, that's what he's talking about here. And these yanis, these wise people, they, don't, they accept themselves. I, I often say, I'm a redneck from Montana. That's all you got in front of you. You got a redneck guy from Montana. I've got my own opinions and my own views and I say dumb things and I eat fish. Oh, somebody, huh? I made a mistake of telling somebody I, saying I ate fish. And in fact, if we put a picture of me with a great big salmon on the website, oh my God, you don't know the kind of letters we got from vegetarians and vegans. How can he say he's enlightened? How can he do that? He's eating a fish. Well, I eat fish, okay? If that makes me unenlightened, I'm sorry. I'm re I really feel terrible about it. But I'm going to keep on eating fish if I want to. And, huh? I can't help it. It's the way I am. Huh? I'm at, I'm not molesting little boys in the park. All I'm doing is eating a fish once in a while. You know? If that's imperfect, I'm sorry. I'm imperfect. Take it or leave it. It's too bad. Because I'm not going to change. What's the point? There will be something else. As soon as I start trying to fix something and find something wrong with myself, then what? That thought will find something else that's wrong. And then I'll have to go and fix that. And then that. And that. You know, there's some people, rich people, that, that paint their house inside a different color every year. They're not satisfied with the color this year huh? because new colors they read in the magazine. Oh, purples are in this year. So they, they get somebody come in and then they make their house all purple. And then next, oh no, yellow's in this year. So then they paint it yellow. Nothing's ever good enough. And this, this feeling that you have that nothing's ever good enough, either outside or inside, that feeling, that thought, you've got to look at that and accept that just as a thought, as a dumb thought. Understand? So, so he's talking about the enemy now. What's the enemy? What, what's the motivation behind all this? Desire. Desire to be different. I want to be different from what I am. Arjuna said, Arjuna knows this well. He said, he know, he, he's saying here, it's, a, it's really cool. He says, Arjuna said, What is that terrible force that causes self insulting actions, even though there is a strong desire to the contrary? <clears throat> you find yourself doing things that insult, that are insulting to you, that aren't up to your. It's an insult to God to try to change yourself. Actually. Because God's got you this way. You should seek to understand. And when you understand, then the changes will take place. But you need to accept yourself first before any changes can take place. Otherwise, what? Your desire to be different is just going to cause you to do all sorts of actions that insult you. That, uh, to me, that's insulting that a man wants to become a woman or a woman become a man. That's like insulting, not only to God, it's insulting to themselves. Because you've been given this wonderful gift and you're not happy with it. So you injure your body, you try to change your body and, and, and involve yourself in all kinds of psychological problems because of it. I had a friend who, co who counseled uh, sex change. She was a Psycho psychiatrist. And she told me about all the problems these people had, huge problems. 
You know, they, they thought they were solving a problem by getting a different body, but all they got was just a whole raft of other awful problems came up. There's no end to it when you're trying to change yourself. So this desire is the enemy. See, Krishna says, and this is the, this is the guna you've got to watch for. <laughs> it's not altogether bad, but it's not altogether good either. Krishna said, Rajas. Remember, Rajas is the second stage of creation. And the first stage is Sattva. And the second stage is Rajas. Huh? That's when the, the jiva, the pure jiva, the Ishwara, becomes mixed and becomes confused because it gets a material portion. The Rajas and Thomas are material portions. They get mixed up with the consciousness. And, Raj, it, and that Rajas, that macrocosmic Rajas, is so powerful, it just destroys everything. It creates everything, but it destroys everything also. So this Rajas power is extremely important power to have. It's very valuable power, but it's a very dangerous power. It's valuable too. How, how is it valuable? It will get you out of Thomas. You can't, if you're Tomasic, you can't get out of Thomas unless you need Rajas. You've got to get active. So Rajas is good there. But once you get uh, out of Thomas and you've got some sattva, then you've got to get out of Rajas uh, and get up to sattva. And then you've got to get out of sattva and get to the self. So there's a progression there. Rajas is useful at a certain point, but it's a huge problem uh, otherwise. So he says, what does it do? It produces desire and anger. It is a great glutton. Glutton means it's really hungry for action, for activity. It can't sit still. It's that part of you, you know, you ever seen those people whose legs are always shaking? Huh? It's not Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's not Parkinson's. Huh? It, it's excess rajas. They have so much rajas, they're talking like this, and their legs are shaking like this. Huh? What, what is that? You think, well, there's something wrong with them. Well, no, not really. They're just way too much rajas. There's so much disturbance in their subtle body that their physical body shakes. They're like monkeys, just hopping around, just constantly. Kids. My God, the other day when all these kids were here. Huh? Holy cow, talk about the rajas. I like it. I get out of here. I go to the top floor and close my door. <laughs> You can still feel the energy <laughs> coming around. Huh? Huh? It's a great glutton and an inveterate sinner. That means it, it, it inclines you to sin. Why? What's the problem with Rajas? You want stuff so badly, you'll break the rules. You'll, 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 you'll violate Dharma. This is the reason. Because when it's really strong, you'll cut corners. I know I was very rajasic and I was always in trouble from the time I was very young. I got thrown out of high school, I got kicked out of college, I spent a couple nights in jail, I had all kinds of problems. Because I wanted things so badly that I would do bad things, illegal things, immoral things I would do. Because I had to get that rajas out, it was so painful. All your psychological pain is coming from rajas. That's where, and physical pain also, but the psychological pain is all coming from rajas. If you have, huh? so, huh? and you will what? Because you, you it's very, it, having that feeling, that desire, you have to get rid of it. This is why these people move very fast. They do actions very quickly because the, the the desires, huh? as soon as they complete an action, it gets rid of that feeling of rajas for a second. But then the rajas comes back and creates another desire, and then they have to do another action to get rid of the rajas. So they're constantly just acting, 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 acting to try to get rid of the desire. They're painful. They don't sleep. If you have trouble sleeping, it's probably because you have too much roy, too much rajas in your, in your, psycho, in your subtle body so forth. So he says, this is a big one. Know it to be an intractable foe. 
Why? Because my mind's got to be what? Calm, peaceful. Just, and now he's giving. This is a really nice verse. This, this one kind of Just as fire is often covered by clouds of smoke, as a mirror may be covered by dust, or a fetus is hidden in the womb, self-knowledge is hidden by desire. Beautiful verse. Now, what is that? Why does he use three examples? Rajas is desire here means your vasanas, your craving, your craving for objects, and and that produces, huh? And and to get rid of those desires, those cravings, there's there's three three levels of that of this rajas. One is, uh, he says here, fire is covered by clouds of smoke. These are desires that come up, but what? But disappear quickly. You have a fire, but there's smoke on it. Then a little breeze comes and it blows the smoke away. Then you can see the fire. Huh? So you don't have to do anything about those desires. Those desires are fine. Hmm? They're okay. They'll just go away in, you know, in a minute or two. Whatever it is. But there's another kind. What He says dust on a mirror. When I was an antique dealer, I used to find these old mirrors. And uh, I loved old mirrors. They some of them were very nice, and they had beveled edges, and they were valuable mirrors. But they were—they'd been maybe not clean for like 50 years or 80 years. They were sitting in basements and garages and stuff, and they had just were caked with dust and dirt. Now, you—you—you you, you could sit them outside, and you could be in a hurricane, and and it wouldn't blow that dust and dirt off, would it? But what? We had a way of cleaning them, and it took a while to clean them properly. But what? So those are desires that are a little bit stronger. But what? You need to work on those to get rid of those. But there's another kind of desire. That's like a fetus in a womb. That you can't pull it out. That you can't get rid of. You have to wait until, like a baby, till it comes out on its own in its own good time. And you need to recognize what desires you should work on and what desires you can't work on. Is the idea here. It's a beautiful verse. And where, where is this desire? He says it prevents self-knowledge. Where, where is this desire? It's everywhere. <laughs> he says, situated in the senses, mind, and intellect. You have emotional desires, you have physical desires, and you have intellectual desires. It's everywhere here in the subtle body. I want, I want, I want. It deludes the person and obscures his or her wisdom. It hides yourself. It extroverts your mind and takes your attention away from who you are. Therefore, O Arjuna, control the senses at the outset and destroy this force, the killer of wisdom. Why do you control the senses? Because if you control the senses, the actions, then what? Then you nip off the vasanas huh, at the sense organ level and you what? Reduce the vasanas, the desire up here in the causal body. So he says, just control yourself. Control your senses. You can't, you have to be careful when you're controlling your senses, you can't control them too much. Or what will happen? Desire will just cause you huge amounts of problem. So you need to what? As my Swamiji used to say, you need to sin intelligently. <laughs> you need to indulge your desires dispassionately and intelligently. Take care of your needs, your desires, here and there, little by little. But don't be like a pig and go for them. And don't repress them either. Oh, I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to not do anything. I'm not going to have an ice cream. I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to go to the movies. I'm not going to do anything unspiritual at all. Well, forget it. <laughs> Your desire will whack you and you'll find yourself right, right back where you thought you didn't want to be. So, so this, is the, this, is your, this is the process of what we're working on, okay? We're not trying to change ourselves. We're, what are we trying to do? Just prepare our minds. 
That's all. So you don't feel bad because you have this. You just work on it patiently and intelligently. That's all. It's not, it's not your fault that you want all this stuff. When you came here, you didn't, didn't have a little list. When you popped out of the womb, you didn't have a little list of all the stuff you wanted. Subconsciously you did, but you didn't know. You picked up all these desires from around you, some of it you brought with you, some of it you picked from your mom and your pop, some from the society. The, t the societies we're in just whip up the desires. If you don't have a desire and you live in this society, you'll get one soon enough. Because huh? all they tell you is want, 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 get, 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 more, more, more. Huh? There's a great big billboard in America. I just just see it. I had a picture of this lovely, I forget it was Coke or Pepsi or something. And it said, Obey your thirst. <laughs> That's what it says. Obey your thirst. In other words, give in to all of those desires right away, quickly. Do exactly what your desires tell you. And of course, they wanted you to buy the Coca-Cola, whatever it is. Well, you know, you name it. So the the world's not helping you out on this one. They're got, they've got a vested interest because they're living off your desires. The world is like they're parasites. They're living off our desires. So they have a they have a good reason to what? To try to increase our desires for objects. And so these things these need to be managed. What time we got there, Veda Murti? How are we doing? Huh? It's 4.30? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let, let's take a break because we're going to... Here's the chart. Verse 42 is the chart. So we'll explain the chart next. And, uh, huh? Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita. Recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.